Please open your Bibles to the 32nd Psalm. Psalm 32. The theme of the psalm is the blessings of forgiveness and wise living. This psalm is a penitential psalm, and it is one of seven penitential psalms. The others are Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. A penitential psalm acknowledges or confesses their sins before the Lord, and they recognize their need for forgiveness. The penitential psalm is the prayer of a repented sinner, a repented sinner. Regarding church history, today we're going to talk a little bit about church history, but we're also going to talk about American history, and I'm going to dabble a little bit into politics with this sermon. But regarding church history and applicable to some American history, I will be prayerfully applying this psalm to the state of America today, which means the sermon, again, will be somewhat political. Specifically and prayerfully, in verses 1 and 2, this sermon will include some politics, but in a nonpartisan way. I think the last time I did this was at the beginning of the pandemic when I preached a message on a biblical response, how a church biblically responds to a pandemic. And that was on the 91st Psalm. And we had to be political because obviously there's a political governmental realm that's actually against the church. So there's no way in the world we could have preached that message without involving politics. But sadly, uh, well, let me first of all say this. As early as the second century, penitential psalms had a liturgical purpose in the church for the confession of sins and repentance. They would be especially good to go over uh, before receiving the Lord's Supper. But sadly, later, the a little bit of polemics here, the Roman Catholic uh, Roman Catholicism used these psalms as a form of their religious penance rather than biblical repentance. There's a great difference between penance and repentance, though these are called penitential psalms. And worse, they set these psalms apart for their religious Ash Wednesday and their time of Lent. There's at least a couple of us in this congregation that once were former Roman Catholics, so we know this to be true. Uh, I am one of them. At the beginning of the presidential campaign, we saw President-elect Joe Biden with what I would call useless ashes smudged upon his forehead in the sign of a cross. There was much talk about that because he obviously was probably the most popular Roman Catholic in America. And the media promoted his Roman Catholicism. And I suspect much more is to come as they bring a reproach to Christ with a religion that is contrary to the word of God. But reformers, as a reformed Baptist church, as a reformed preacher, as a reformed congregation, we must biblically expose and push back. In other words, semper reformanda, which means in Latin, always reforming. Before Joe Biden, President John F. Kennedy was the first and only Roman Catholic to hold this highest office in our nation, the president, as the leader of the free world. That was only in the 1960s. He was the first Roman Catholic. Obviously, God decreed that we wouldn't have any Roman Catholics in the White House until the 1960s. 
But the brutal truth is, perhaps this religion and their religious penance has sent more people to hell than all the bars in this universe. Again, I'm going to be pushing back. Therefore, a true biblical penitential psalm is a psalm of repentance. And that repentance is a gift that comes from our Lord upon salvation and then that manifests, it, manifests itself out throughout our life of sanctification. Because of the Hebrew word pesha in verse 1, applicably, I'm not saying that the phrase national sins is in the text. I'm not adding to the text, but I'm gleaning national sins from the text. Applicably, we will be talking about our nation and its national sins that have been legislated from the White House, certain White House administrations, and including our highest courts, the United States Supreme Court. So the division of this psalm this week is as follows. In verses 1 through 2 is Pesha, or what I would see in the text as national sins, rebellious sins of revolt, and the benediction of the pardoned the benediction of the pardon, or the blessing of forgiveness. Then in verses 3 through 5 is David's personal confession, or lessons from experience. And verses 6 through 7 is the application of concern of others. And verses 8 through 9, the voice of God is heard for the forgiven one. And then in verses 10 through 11 is the fate of the non-saved versus God's elect. Beginning with verse 1, national sins and the benediction of the pardon. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. This blessed is a gender neutral word. It means the same as the word blessed in In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, it means, Oh, happy is the man. How joyful will the man or woman be whose transgression is forgiven. In other words, happy will the man or woman be that is saved. This transgression is the Hebrew word, again, peshah, which is a revolt. Listen to this, church. It's a different kind of sin. It's a revolt or a national or moral rebellion. In the Hebrew, it means a sin that is a revolt or a national or moral rebellion. It is also a sin that's a transgression or a trespass against God himself. But it also means that it could be a sin against other nations, as well as a sin against ours, or a sin against our own neighbors or even a sin against each other in this congregation if we sinned against each other. Without a doubt, this is clearly a portrait of the lawlessness of Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Wicked, 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 and I mean wicked anti-God organizations, as they revolted against God. As they revolted against our nation, its police, its people, and the people's property. That is Pesha. That is this Hebrew word. And it had much to do with our nation. But it's also a portrait of some politicians, some judges, and some courts, and even particular White House administrations. 
For a long time, our White House has demonstrated or legislated these transgressions or these national sins, Pesha. Just in my lifetime alone, I think of JFK. You compare him to the modern Democrat today, he's probably a decent politician. But the truth is, him, even knowing he was the first Roman Catholic in the White House, he was a serial adulterer. And God decreed him to be assassinated. We will never understand the whole reasons for that. I was in Dallas, Texas, preaching the gospel at the old grassy knoll where he was assassinated. Great place to share the gospel, to stand and preach, because people from Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and other parts of the world are there because it's a world-renowned tourist spot. Interesting there, when you stand inside the building of where the sniper was, at least allegedly where the sniper was, which I do believe that he really truly was at that window, and I truly believe that a shot was fired from that window, but if you're ever in Dallas, Texas, please go to this museum. And yes, fast-forwarding to Bill Clinton, committing adultery in the White House, and worse, being the first president to actually allow homosexuals in our military. And then Hillary's aggressive pro-abortion agenda, Pesha. It's a national revolt, a sin against God, including a sin against the unborn child. And yes, Obama's promotion, or Pesha, of child sacrifice was even worse than the Clintons. It just gets worse, doesn't it, Christians? We're living in interesting times. But it's a great great time to be actually a Christian living during these times. I actually am, am thankful for it. It's actually quite exciting. Who would want to be a boring Christian or be a Christian in a boring world? Since Christians are supposed to be objective, even our current Republican administration has furthered the homosexual agenda. And let us not forget that it was a Republican United States Supreme Court that actually legalized abortion, hence Roe v. Wade. Let us not forget that it was a Republican Party that has its own well-organized homosexual wing called the Log Cabin Republicans. I went to their website yesterday, and it reads this. It's a very, very lengthy statement of non-faith. But in part, it says this, LGBT Republicans and straight allies have chosen to transform the GOP from the inside, working to overcome the forces of exclusion and intolerance. Let me make this very clear. This Christian, this pastor, is not one of their straight allies. And I will not work with them to, quote, overcome forces of exclusion of intolerance, close quote. Because tolerance of sin is sin in itself. A dear friend of mine, Pastor Lane, told my wife and I many years ago, Satan works on the church like a microwave oven. He cooks the church from the inside out. And by the log Republican log, log cabin Republicans' own admission, their goal is to transform the GOP from the inside. And now I'm going to go over the text of Ephesians 5. I'm actually skipping paragraphs here because I'm changing my mind as I'm preaching, which means I'm repenting. 
There may be some things I shouldn't say. But in the context of walking in love, walking in the light, and walking in wisdom, if you want to open to Ephesians 5, I'll give you time. This is very important. This is how we are to be as a church. One of the brothers today was just telling us how he applied Ephesians 5 to a personal matter. It's a hard thing to do. It's, it's difficult. Nobody likes being the negative guy, the tough guy, the guy that's pushing back, the guy or girl that's saying no to sin, the guy, that, the guy or the girl that's, 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 that's raining on your party. But in, beginning with verse 1, again, in the context of walking in love, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Imitators of God. Not of ourselves, but of God. And walk in love. Robin read 1 Corinthians 13 today in the reading of the New Testament. Walking in love. But it also told you what love is not in that chapter. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, for fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Folks, we're not to allow fornication or any uncleanliness, not even the Tenth Commandment, covetousness, be even named among you as it is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, nor cursing, etc., etc., which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance, inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. What does the scripture say? Boy, this is providential to the conversation we were having just earlier. Do not be partakers with them. When a Christian stands for God and the word of God, and they say, I'm not going to be a partaker with you, that is a commendable thing to do. That is our reasonable expectation by God that we would do that. And you will be called, wrongfully called, holier than thou, self-righteous, legalist, etc., etc. But we must stand solid on the scriptures. We just talked about walking in love. Now we're going to be talking about the context of walking in light. It says in verses 8 through 14 of the same chapter, walking in light. For you were once darkness. Let us not forget that. But now you are light in the Lord. Not just light in the world, but we are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship. Listen, here it is, folks. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Listen to this. It gets worse. Not only are we supposed to not be partakers with them, not only are we supposed to have no fellowship with them, or the unfruitful works of darkness, now it commands us, rather, expose them. Expose their evil deeds. Expose their sin. If they're not going to repent privately, expose their sin. 
For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We've all had to make hard decisions in our lives, either personally or professionally, or as a church, in our homes, exposing, rebuking, not partaking with them. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, if we were all jerks, it would be an easy thing to do, wouldn't it? But it's not easy, especially if it's a loved one, especially if it's a family member. But that is a true love. That is biblical love, walking in love. That is biblical light, walking in light. And now in verses 15 through 21 of Ephesians 5, we're going to see what the context of walking in wisdom is. Walk circumspectly. Talk circumspectly. Type on social media circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Christians, we're in 2021. I'm not a prophet, but the days are going to be much more evil, I believe. I know a lot of Reformed Baptists don't believe that, but my eschatology, whatever it is, I truly believe that the end times will actually get worse. Therefore, do not be unwise. The days are going to get evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always, even for the troubles, giving thanks for everything, for all things to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Those are commandments. Those are our walking papers, our marching orders from our commander-in-chief. How we walk in light, how we walk in wisdom, and how we walk in love. So church, I understand that the political party is better than the Democrat party. There's no doubt about that according to the world standards. But we must pledge our allegiance to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I pledge my allegiance to the Father. I pledge my allegiance to the Son. I pledge my allegiance to the Holy Spirit. I pledge my allegiance to the Scriptures, which is sufficient, which is God speaking to us. That's whom our allegiance is to. Our citizenship is of heaven, the scripture says. But we shouldn't give our allegiance to a political party, nor political ideology. Although, I agree with everybody here that I've discussed politics with. There's nobody here I'm at, I'm at odds with. There's nobody here I oppose to of how you voted or whom you voted for. But know this, church. Our allegiance has to be, first and foremost to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we fear God and care for our nation, which would be loving our neighbors, then we would call out these national sins. We would call out this Peshach as being unacceptable and intolerable, regardless of political affiliation. Now moving forward, looking forward, if God decrees President-elect Joe Biden 
which will be the second Roman Catholic president to occupy our White House, the promotion of these national sins, homosexuality and abortion, will only increase. It will increase. They've already said it will. Oh, sure, we defeated Hillary Clinton. Thank, thank God for that. Amen? But we may end up with a far worse woman as the vice president of this country, that being Camilla Harris. Kamalia Harris, however you pronounce it. So how is it that we can go from bad to worse just like that? Because God decrees all of these things to occur. He's on his throne. He's in charge. He's not sitting up in heaven biting his nails saying, Oh no, I didn't see that coming. What am I going to do? No, God is sovereign ruler, king over all. Abortion and sexual immorality is a form of his judgment upon our nation. What are you saying? That we're not supposed to fight against homosexuality or fornication or adultery or abortion? Well, we're not going to be able to stop it, church. The sexually immoral does exactly what the world's supposed to do. If abortion became illegal, I'd be very thankful for that. But we must also know that if God didn't want it to occur, it would stop. Because God is sovereign even over the unlawful murder of the unborn child. Which isn't just murder, it's first degree with malice aforethought. Literally lying and wait. The Bible warns in Romans chapter 1, listen to this. We talked a little bit about this on prayer night on Thursday night with Sister Caroline's giant print. Thank God for that. God also gave them up to uncleanliness. God did that. These national sins are God's judgment on our nation. God's not caught by surprise. He knows what's going on. It says that he gave them up to uncleanliness, verse 24 of Romans 1. Then God gave them up to vile passions, verse 26 of Romans 1. And then God gave them over to a debased mind. They think what they're doing is right. They believe it is okay. He gave them over to a debased mind to do the things that, that which are not fitting, verse 28. So right there, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28 of Romans chapter 1, God turned them over to the wicked uncleanliness, to their vile passions. It talks about homosexuality and lesbianism. It also talks about murder in this passage, which would be be two national sins right there. And God gives them over to a debased mind. They're nuts because God gave them over. And many of them will never get saved. Many of them can't ever get saved. But we've got to go out as a church and preach or share the gospel and trust in God's will that he will save his elect, whomever they may be. Listen to this about God's decree. I I truly believe, after watching social media this last six months, that there's a lot of Reformed Baptists that don't even believe in the decree of God. It says in chapter 3, paragraph 1 of our confession, and this is a confessional church, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own own will, freely and unchangeably, all things. He decrees all things, 
whatsoever comes to pass, yet yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin. He decrees these things, but he's not the author of sin, nor does he have fellowship with any therein. Though he decrees these things, he's not the author of sin, nor does he have fellowship with them. Nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. I would highly recommend a book on our confession of faith. It's actually an exposition of our confession by Sam Waldron, W-A-L-D-R-O-N. He's one of our Reformed Baptist scholars, uh, kind of a a go-to guy. We have many of them in the Reformed Baptist Church that have written some excellent books, some great pieces of scholarly work, but it's an exposition on the confession of faith. Church, our highest court, the Supreme Court of the United States, has legislated these transgressions, Pesha, against both God and country. When today's compromising so-called patriots state those worlds, will God bless America or God and country, it makes me cringe because it shows their hypocrisy. I believe it could be blasphemy to ask God to bless America under the certain circumstances that we have patient, we have revolted, we have committed national sins against him. We as an individual church must repent, obviously, and as individual Christians. And what about all those people out in the world? That's why we must send, go, stand, speak, and preach the glorious gospel and trust in God for the results. We've done our job then, church, if we do that. I think of the transgressions like abortion and homosexuality that have been legislated from our highest levels of legislated jurisprudence. Imagine that. Not just individual choices, individual will to sin. Our highest court in this America has legislated this lawlessness against God. Pesha. Sins against a holy just God. This is why I'm no longer proud to be an American. God hates those who practice evil, and he hates the proud look. Though he loves, though he loves his blood-bought, repented, born-again church. I rarely quote postmodern men, but I'm going to quote this pastor. Sadly, he just lost his son, Tim Challies, died I think at the age of 20 years old. But listen to what Tim Challey said, folks. This is tough. This is not hate speech. This is tough love. This is the truth. This is the word of God. But nobody wants to preach it anymore. Well, no, I shouldn't say nobody, but majority of the church doesn't like this. He said, and I quote, Psalm 11.5 puts it bluntly. God hates wicked people. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. He hates wicked people from his soul, from the very depth of his being. God hates their ways, Proverbs 15.9. Their thoughts, Proverbs 15.26. Their worship, Proverbs 15.8. Their actions, Proverbs 6.18. And their evil deeds, Psalm 5.5. 5. 
He singles out as a special object of his hatred the blasphemous deeds of the Nicolaitans, those who seduced God's people with idolatry and sexual immorality. Yes, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Revelation 2.6, close quote. But know this, church, for those of you that fellowship after the sermon, don't be afraid of me. I'm not sick. i got a runny nose and runny eyes because of the sermon. I'm not sick. You know, down in COVID, the era of COVID, you start sniffling. Everybody starts running. <laughs> Look out, a leper. <clears throat> but know this, church. Take heed lest we fall. We too once were at odds with God. And so I will judge myself here. I'm going to judge me. My fingers are pointing at me, not at you. According to the scriptures, before my salvation, I was an enemy of the Lord. Romans 5.10 A child of wrath. Ephesians 2.3 Dead in my sins and trespasses. Ephesians 2.5 A son of perdition. John 17.12 And God's wrath abided upon me. John 3.36 In layman's terms, I was a dirtbag. Ready to be dispatched to hell. That's where I deserve to go. But by the grace of God, he pulled me out of the muck and mire. And by the grace of God, and by the love of God, even though he hates those that practice iniquity, he pulled us all out of that muck and mire. So as we consider this penitential psalm, I know we're going a little slow just for the first verse here, but we're actually going to be moving very fast the rest of the sermon. But as we consider this penitential song, we must consider the weight of those transgressions. We must consider the weight of this Pesha as well as our own sin before we can truly appreciate verses 1 and 2. Because it's only by the grace of God that we too, God's elect, can say that verse, which is, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And church, that blessed is the man or woman unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. The sins of God's elect, Christ's bride, have been forgiven and covered. The greatest scandal in the world... We don't like government corruption. We don't like cover-ups. But the greatest scandal is our sins have been covered up. Amen? Past, present, and future. That's good news, folks. Next is the word forgiven. We, we just went over Peshach. A lot of word, a lot of time spent on that one Hebrew word. A national revolt against God. But now the word forgiven in the Hebrew, Nasah, means to have our sins burned. They weren't only covered up, they were burned. It means to carry them away, cast afar, pardoned. There's a lot of news about presidential pardons. Some of them I think were good choices. Some of them I'm not too sure about. But we've been pardoned, folks. I sometimes laugh or or joke around that I'm still on parole because I'm married. My parole officer back there. She keeps an eye on me. I'm still on probation. Steve, you've you've escaped that, haven't you, brother? Steve chose not to get married. (laughs) But, although I have a wife that watches over me, understandably so, my sins have been pardoned. 
It also means to lift up, to bear up, to carry, to take away. Thank you, Jesus. Now we've gone over this transgression, over this word forgiven. Uh, We've gone over the transgression is forgiven. It says, whose sin is covered. This phrase, whose sin, in the Hebrew, means the sacrifice for the sin, or a sin offering. Thank you, Jesus. And this word covered is the Hebrew word kasah, which means to cover, to conceal, or to hide our sins. He not only covered them up, he concealed them, he hid them, he took them, he got them out of the way. As far as from the east to the west, thank you, Jesus. This can only be accomplished by Christ's vicarious, efficacious, substitutionary, penal atonement. That he alone accomplished on that cross for his blood-bought church, his beautiful bride. That was verse 1. Now verse 2. We're going to go faster. Blessed is the man whom unto the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Because of the imputation of Christ, his church will be blessed. Because the sins of God's elect are imputed over to Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness, again, as you all know, is imputed over to us, we will inherit the kingdom of God. We actually already have. We're not living in heaven, but we're in the kingdom of God now. We're actually living in the end times, but we're living in the kingdom of God during the end times. Isn't that a great place to be? Thank you, Jesus. Next is verses 3 through 5. David's personal confession or his lessons from experience. I like testimonies. This is a short one. Verse 3. When I keep silence, my bones wax old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Again, remember, Selah means press pause. As as we think about that psalm, and I'm sure David, when he was praying and singing and and saying this psalm, that he too pressed pause. Well, it says he did. Selah. To contemplate on that thought that God's Holy Spirit had given him in this scripture. In verses 3 through 4, David exhorts us by sharing his own testimony or his own personal experience. There's much value in gleaming knowledge from those older, um, those that are more seasoned than us, or those that have already preceded us in depth. Now, that's why this church, and to my knowledge, well, I'm not too sure, but I almost probably 95% of all the churches within our association do not have a youth ministry, do not have a youth pastor, Uh, Nor do they have a a ministry for senior saints. That's because we do not believe in age segregation. We do not segregate our congregation by age. We don't have as many children as we used to. But there have always been, during the worship service, to sit under the teaching of the pastor or the elders, rather than be under the teaching of a youth pastor who's trying to be cool and hip. And be influenced by peer pressure rather than be under God's word. But instead, our children in this congregation are with us the rest of the, for the entire service. 
David shares metaphorically how unconfessed or unrepented sin is like a festering sore. As the skin makes you makes you feel like uh, the sin makes you feel like uh, arthritic stricken bones. Um, my mother-in-law that lives with us, I'm very thankful she does. Her boy, her her arthritic stricken bones are terrible. You can hear her crack when you just try to just move her, just cracking everywhere. She's paralyzed from her arthritis, and that's what sin does to us. He speaks from experience, from trying to hide his sin of adultery and his sin of murder. Remember Bathsheba and Uriah. He knows from experience. He was a repentant man. Eventually we're going to be going over Psalm 51, which is another penitential psalm, one of the seven. His prayers of repentance. If Church, if we do not confess our sins and repent, God chastens those whom he loves. Thus saith the Lord. That is what we all must do before receiving the cup today during our communion, as well as every Lord's Day that we have communion. Moving on to verse 5, David acknowledged his sin, including any hidden sin. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Again, he presses pause to contemplate on that thought, as we will too. Notice David did not say that he made mistakes. He called them his sins for what they were. He called his sin, sin. He called his iniquity, iniquity. And he called his transgressions, transgressions. And when we or he confess and repent, it is then that he or we can have the assurance that the Lord has already forgiven the iniquity of his or our own sin. Next, in verses 6 through 7, the application of David's concern for others. Verse 6. For this shall everyone, for this shall everyone that is godly, everyone that is a Christian, pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble, thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Say law. The scriptures say that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 Though the Lord does chasten those whom he loves, I've been chastened, I'm sure you all have been chastened before. It's not fun, but it's necessary. But suffering is not always discipline because of sin. Job is a perfect example of that. Nonetheless, Adversity is always an occasion for the wise in heart to draw near to the Lord in prayer and to find solace in him. Is anybody in this church going through adversity right now? If you are, draw near to the Lord. Make your own psalms crying out to the Lord, confessing your own sins, iniquity, and transgressions, and begging God to draw you nearer to him because he loves his church. He desires to hear from us. David encourages us to draw near to the Lord. He likens our greater trials or tribulations as the floods of great waters. The floods of great waters. I saw this video on Facebook the other day. It was out on the sea. And there was this funnel-shaped cloud that just went right over the ocean. 
And the clouds opened up and tons and tons and tons of water was dropped just in one concentrated area. Wow. If anybody doesn't believe in the flood, they're nuts. To watch how God flooded that one area was absolutely amazing. What was God saying through that? Imagine if that happened on a land. Look at Louisiana. During George Bush's administration. I don't know why I said the president's name, but I I feel bad for the guy. He was blamed for it. (laughs) Don't blame George Bush for the Katrina flood. God decreed that. That was a land that was practicing gross sin, Pesha, against God at that particular time that when that hurricane started. If we are in God's will, I tell you something, folks. I'm reading my sermon and I'm skipping paragraphs as I'm going. I changed this sermon so many times this last six days. I actually finished it Tuesday morning. But if we're in God's will, He will be our hiding place. And for this reason, we can give joyful shouts or songs of deliverance. Say love. If we're in God's will, He's got us covered. We're in his hiding place, his secret place. He will protect you if you're in God's will. Next, David shifts from God's protection to an exhortation of wise living. In verses 8 through 9 is the voice of God, which is heard by the forgiven one. We've all heard the voice of God as forgiven ones through the scriptures. And it says this, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with the bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. The Lord will instruct and guide his people, and he does so liberally. On the contrary, animals need bridles, leashes, cages, and restraint. As one author said this of this passage, quote, He, David, drew near to the Lord and confessed his sin. The godly draw near to him out of a personal desire for holiness. Those who do not draw near to him to find refuge are like the animals that have to be held in check. Closed in quote. Next is verses 10 through 11. Is the fate of the non-saved versus God's elect. The fate of the world versus the church. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. The non-saved might believe in God, but they do not trust in God. It is not a salvific belief. Fact is, Hell will be full of unconverted believers. In verse 10a, David said, Many sorrows will come to the unregenerate. Many, many sorrows. Because we love our neighbors or the general public, that is why, again, we share the gospel with them. Let this be a gospel-sharing church. In spite of our governor's latest strict orders to stay at home and to not congregate as a church as we are today, We must and will obey God rather than man. We must obey the Great Commission, lest we sin against our Lord while obeying Governor Gavin Newsom. We must go, stand, share, and speak or preach his glorious gospel so that the elect of God, 
that they will be saved by hearing or reading the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. Verse 10b. But he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. This trusteth in the Lord in the Hebrew, batak, means to be confident of or sure of, to be bold, to put your confidence on, to hope or to make, to trust. On the contrary, a large percentage of profession Christians today during this pandemic are not demonstrating this trusteth in the Lord. Seemingly, they're not displaying confidence or boldness nor trust in him. But David said that the Lord is merciful to whom? To those whom trust in the Lord. The psalm closes with verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. We talked about a lot of negative things, a lot about sin, but church, it closes with a benediction. Although I haven't had the benediction to close or serve. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Be glad, church. Rejoice, ye righteous ones. You are righteous because Christ is righteous. That's good news. And shout it out for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Our hearts were regenerate. They were circumcised. We are upright in heart. The Lord's people, Christ's bride, are beneficiaries of God's love. And Christ is our benefactor. Christians, we belong to a protected status. We belong to a protected people. The Bible says we're a peculiar people. That we're saints. Listen to this. One author said this. There are three facets in the enjoyment of a protected status. The ongoing activity of trust the basic relationship of being right with God, and the moral reality of an upright character. Such are not immune from woes, such as the rising waters of verse 6. But when they come, they are encompassed by the love that never fails. Church, when those floods and those trials and those tribulations come, God's love will never fail. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Church, the Lord's people, born-again followers of Christ, can be assured of God's love, protection, guidance, salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. Therefore, the Christians, in closing, the Christians, the born-again believers, they are the blessed ones in verses 1 and 2. They are the ones that are blessed in verses 1 and 2. Our sins have been covered and forgiven. Father, thank you again for your word. Help us grow, Lord, in your grace and the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us be more holy because you are holy. Help us have more confidence, more boldness. Help us to be entrusted to you more. Lord, we've trusted in Christ for salvation. We ask that you would grow our trust in you for everything, for all matters throughout our natural lives. Lord, protect our church, keep us together, keep us strong. In Jesus' name, amen.